Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I am, I'm excited that, you know, in the middle of July, uh, we, we have a nice full room and uh, there's a high-pitched tinny something going on. So I don't know if I'm standing too close to something, but uh, there you have it. Um, we are in the middle of the series that we're calling um, Water Walking 101. And uh, last week, if you missed it, uh, I performed my first miracle. I walked on water. You missed it. I, I, if I do one now after I die, they have to make me a saint, right? Isn't that how that works? So, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're talking about this idea of Peter and in Matthew chapter 14, right? I mean, we, a lot of you probably know the story. If you don't, it's, I'll give you the quick uh, Reader's Digest version. But uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000, huge miracle, right? I mean, uh, the, the fishes and the loaves, and he multiplies it, and, and, and there's this huge crowd of people, and, and they, they're all fed by this little tiny thing. And, and then one of the other uh, gospels actually records that miracle and kind of hints at the fact that the people wanted to make Jesus king. And I, I think Jesus recognizes this, and so he actually sends his disciples away and says, hey, go, you know, I want you to get on the boat, I want you to cross, because I think he understood they weren't ready to hear that, right? They, they weren't ready to, to process that because they probably would have said, yeah, and got caught up in the excitement and said, let's make him king, let's go, and, and that's, Jesus knew, was not wasn't the plan, it wasn't the process, it wasn't what needed to happen. And so he sends them into the boat, they go across the lake, and uh, he goes up into, he dismisses the crowd, goes up into the mountains, and he prays alone until the middle of the night. Well, he comes down in the middle of the night, and the disciples are still in their boats, and they're still trying to cross this lake, and it's a, it's a huge lake, you know, Sea of Galilee, and, and they're trying to cross, but there's a storm that has come up. And they are fighting against it and not making progress. And, and they're actually kind of scared. And so Jesus, you know, because I guess he likes to shock people, I don't know, starts walking towards them while walking on the water. So he's walking on the water. Did you catch that? I mean, really, do you hear what he, I mean, Jesus is in a storm. He's walking on the water. And the disciples see him and they think it's a ghost, and they are scared to death. And so Peter calls out. He says, hey, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out and walk to you on the water. And Jesus says, well, it's me, so come on out. And Peter steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water toward Jesus. And last week, we talked about the fact, hey, that's got to be the highlight of Peter's life, right? I mean, you got to think that, that for the next, you know, 20, 30 years, however long he lived, that he always looked back at that moment to say, that was the coolest thing, you know? I mean, I, I know he saw the empty tomb and all that, and that's really cool, but I mean, he, like, his feet were wet, but he wasn't sinking. And so we talked about that last week a little bit about how, you know, if you, if you want to get out of the boat, you got to be willing to get your feet wet. But then what happens? He all of a sudden, it says he sees the wind and the waves. And he loses sight of Jesus and starts to sink. He fails. Right? He's top of the world, sinking to the bottom of the ocean. But it says Jesus reached out, pulled him up. And as they were getting in the boat, he said, Why did you doubt me? You had this. Why'd you doubt me? 
and he helps him back in the boat, and then the storm calms down, and they go about the rest of their business. Now, I mean, think about that for just a second, and I've hit, I've hit on this a couple times, but, you know, Jesus invites Peter out into the storm to walk on the water. And, and let's face it, in our lives, oftentimes when Jesus is calling us, he's calling us to step out of the safety of the boat into the waves and the wind of the storm. And we've got to understand that. And we've got to understand that it's not always going to be, you know, nice and happy and everything's going to go perfectly well. You know, we, I've heard people say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I got news for you. That's, that's not always true. Because that's where the battle's happening. I mean, Jesus doesn't put us out there and say, oh, I'm going to make sure your life is just always hunky-dory and wonderful. No, it's gonna, you're going to experience storms and pain, and difficulty. And that's while you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. And so as we're thinking about this today, I wanted to focus in on one aspect of, of the story today and, and, and look at it from a different perspective because the, the verses 30 and 31 of Matthew 14, it says, but when he, Peter, saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. You ever had that sinking feeling of failure? You ever looked around and realized, uh-oh, <laughs> this is bad. And, and, and the verse 31 goes on. It says, you know, he cries out, Lord, save me. And, and Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? You know, I, I don't know about you, okay, but one of my biggest fears is the fear of failure. I don't, I just have this really probably unhealthy and I probably need to, talk to my therapist about it, but I, I mean, it, I have this fear of failure. And I, I actually looked it up. That word is um, atikophobia. Now, try Googling that, and the definition is there and all that, but if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, that word's not there. I don't know why, but there's got to be a spiritual truth there somewhere about the fear of failure not actually existing. But I, that, that's the thing is, if you're afraid of failing, you're probably normal, right? You're probably one of the majority of people. And yet, why is it so bad to fail? Well, because I, I don't want people to look at me and remember all the things I didn't do well. And yeah, that's all about people pleasing, I know. And it's all about, hey, I, I want everybody to think of me as really successful, as really good, as all this. And, and if I fail, that, you know, is kind of a notch against it. And all of a sudden, I'm wrestling back with, but I want them to think that I'm really good. And so you, we get afraid of failing. But here's the thing. When you step out in faith, when, when you sense that Jesus is calling you to try something, to do something, to step out into a storm there's a chance, there's a chance of failure, right? There, there's a chance something goes wrong. There's a chance you sink. And so, at least for me, I catch myself over and over not wanting to get out of the boat because I don't want to fail. Or if I do start to sense that I'm failing, like it says, you know, Peter saw the wind and he, he starts to sink, 
I'm trying to look at someone else to blame for that sinking that's happening, right? I'm, I'm gonna, oh, it's, 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 it's their fault or this fault or that shouldn't have happened or it was because it's summer or because it's fall or because it's winter or because it's spring, right? And in Ohio, that could be any given day of the year that it could be any of those or all of those. Um, and, and so we're all, you know, I'm looking for someone else to blame. I'm trying to, and I, because I don't want to acknowledge failure. And, and I don't know where you are today, but I, I think we need to start asking ourselves, how do we respond to failure? How do we deal with it? Because if we're afraid of failing, we will never step out. Because the risk oftentimes is far greater than we understand. And as we start to understand it, we get more and more afraid. And last week I told you a haunting question that I have is, you know, what am I doing in my life that if God doesn't show up, it's, it's doomed to fail? Because if there's nothing that I'm doing like that, then that means I don't need much faith to do what I'm doing. Right? I, I don't have, if I'm not risking anything, if, if, if I'm not stepping out saying, God, I sense you've called me, and, and if you don't show up, this is going to be a miserable failure, then... I'm not expressing or growing in any area of my faith. And, and that's not just because I'm a pastor and I'm, you know, like paid to be like that and to talk like this. Okay, th this, is, this is what all of us are supposed to be doing. This, this is the calling for all followers of Christ. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you're always on the edge of bankruptcy or on the edge of going belly up or on the edge of, of you know, falling off the cliff or anything. It means, though, are you doing anything that, in, that requires a little bit of risk? And that risk, we even said last week, right, could be as simple as I'm actually talking about God and it's not just in church. I'm having conversations that, that actually point people to my faith in Jesus. And that's risky because they could look at you and say, wow, you're an idiot and nobody likes that. Right? They could look at you and reject you because they don't want to be around a person like that. And, and so we... We just don't do it oftentimes. So I was thinking about failure, and, and, and I realized that in, in my life, there have been many, trust me, there, there are tons of times where we can talk about my failures, okay? Uh, but what I'm finding is that within that, there are actually what I would call gifts of failure, right? If we're willing to look at them honestly, and we're willing to say, you know what? I sunk, right? I saw the waves, and I sunk. I, I, I quit looking at Jesus, and I failed, I think there are some gifts that we can receive if we're willing to acknowledge that and willing to push through that initial, ooh, I don't like this feeling. So I just want to talk about three of them today just to kind of get us thinking about it. And hopefully you'll take these conversations further than just, you know, in our little talk today, but at lunch today or, or throughout the week that you can ask yourself, where, where do I see these gifts of failure happening in my life and what can I do about them? So the first gift that I think we can see is the gift of lament. And, and here's what I mean by that is we got to name our failure and actually mourn it. Right? We have to actually say, wow, that was awful. I mean, it's, there are times when I want to look around and say, you know what? This sucks. I hate it. And, and if we look through scripture over and over again, we see this happening, right? It's not like everyone in scripture walks around with halos going, oh, everything's wonderful. I don't have any problems. This is just great. We look through scripture and over and over again, there's failures. 
And there's people who have to lean into those failures and, and learn from them. And, and, and yet they do it when they begin by mourning the failure, naming it, lamenting it. I mean, Jeremiah wrote an entire book called Lamentations, right? And he's lamenting the failures of Israel. He's naming them. And he's saying, this is horrible. These are awful things that we've done. And he's, he's lamenting them. Elijah, in, in 1 Kings, he's done all these amazing things, but all of a sudden he begins to fear the queen and he's worried and he, and he, and he goes and he hides in a cave. And, and that's where God meets him. And, and, and he says, what are you doing? And, and Elijah names it. He says, listen, I did this, but now I think everybody's out to get me. I know the queen has a bounty on my head. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it. I failed. I did not win over the people of Israel. And, and he, he faces it and he laments it. Now it ends up God says, well, not really. I actually got your back on this one. <laughs> you just didn't know it. Then you got David. I mean, David, think of his life. I mean, talk about a soap opera life. Holy cow. I mean, the guy's the youngest of these siblings and, and, and he's a shepherd and it's all great and he's just living his life and then all of a sudden this, this prophet comes in and says, I want to see all the kids and all the, all the boys line up and, and he's like, well, this is great, but there's got to be another one because none of these are the ones that I'm supposed to anoint. And so David's dad goes, well, you know, there's that David. I mean, he's the youngest. He's kind of, nobody thinks about him. You really want me to bring him in? I mean, is it worth the trip really? Because, you know, he's out in the field. It's going to take a while. Samuel's like, yeah, bring him in. Hello. So he brings him in. And, and, it, and, and, and I love, because this is the context, right? He, he sees David and, and God tells Samuel, yeah, he's the one to anoint because God doesn't look on the outside, which, I mean, read between the lines there, basically saying, yeah, you know, I know he's not that easy to look at and I know he doesn't look like much, but I'm going to do something with him. I mean, can you imagine if that's the calling that you received, right? God says, well, you're not really that great looking and you're not really that strong and I don't know how much, you know, but I'm going to use you. And that's the calling. That's how David gets anointed by Samuel. And, and then he just goes back to being a shepherd. And then all of a sudden the whole war thing happens and he kills Goliath. Woohoo, you know, roller coasters. He's at the top. And, and then, you know, Saul, the king, says, oh, you know what? Let's bring him in. He does some good stuff. He becomes a military hero. He becomes a musician that calms the king. All these great things are happening. The king gives him one of his daughters as his wife. It's great. And then all of a sudden the king decides, you know, I really don't like that David. I'm going to kill him. Okay, David's on the run. He has to escape. He actually ends up in the hometown of Goliath, right? The guy he killed. And he has to pretend that he's gone completely insane. And it says that he's walking around with drool dripping off of his beard so that he isn't killed. He's pretending like he's gone mad. And, and, and that's where he ends up. And then from there, he ends up not even lasting there. And it says in... in, in um, and what is it, First King? No, First Samuel 22. He, he uh, ends up in the cave of Adula. And, and he's just miserable. Because he's like, nothing's working. Nothing's working. And it ends up a bunch of people start gathering around him. But I love it because when they describe the type of people who gather around him, it says, yeah, it's all those guys who basically were running away from the law, who had some problems, who were not going to make it in, you know, any like regular setting. They needed to be out away from people. You know, all the losers and the has-beens and the not-so-greats, they're the ones that David attracted. 
And out of that, he starts leading this band of merry men. But it's in that cave where he just faces this. And he, even later, while he lived there, there right around that cave, says people come in and they, while the men are off doing something, they uh, pillaging somewhere else, another group comes in and takes all of their possessions and their wives and their kids. And they come back and the men are just obviously livid and they're ready to stone David. And, and it says David goes and he, he finds, finds strength in the Lord because he's realizing, God, everything's a failure. And the only place I can find strength is in you. And it says in Psalm 142, it, it records part of his lament. And it even says at the beginning, a Psalm of David regarding his experience in the cave. And it's a prayer. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him. And I tell him all my troubles. He names his failures and his problems. And he says, here they are. I need you to step in, God. I, I can't accomplish this. I'm, I'm a failure. I, I, I'm not going any further than this cave. I need you. But the great part about this, God does his best work in caves. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a cave. They're gross. A lot of bugs, snakes, spiders, darkness, rocks. Usually they're damp and moldy. But God does his best works in caves. So if you feel like you're in a cave right now, and you feel like everything is falling apart around you, I want you to know you're in a great spot. It doesn't feel like it. But that's where God usually shows up. And it's okay in the cave to lament and to mourn and to cry and to say, I hate this. Second gift that I think failure brings is not only lament, but grace. I, I, I like the way uh, John Ortberg wrote a book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And, uh, and it's you know, similar to some of the stuff we're doing here. And, and he, he makes this statement in that he says, Jesus saves before Jesus scolds. Right? As Peter's sinking, Jesus isn't yelling, Hey! What's wrong with you? Why don't you have more faith? Why don't you trust me as he's sinking? No, he pulls him up and he pulls him close. And he says, oh, wow, why don't you, why don't you trust me? I had this. And, and I love it because Jesus doesn't say, Peter, if you would have just put your foot this way, it would have worked better, right? If you would have just walked differently, you could have finished this. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you lost faith in me, not in you. The ability wasn't the issue. It was his faith. And in the midst of even that failure, Jesus pulls him up. You see, I, Peter would never have known the hand of Jesus pulling him up 
if he hadn't failed. He would never have known the grace of Jesus saying, you screwed up and yet I'm saving you because I love you and helping him into the boat if he hadn't stepped out and tried. You know, there, there are times that we can only experience the depth of God's love within the context of our own failures because we experience a depth of his love that we can't understand when we're on top of the world and everything's going right. I mean, to know that I messed up and I did this wrong and yet God still loves me. There's power in that. I mean, your kids, right? They, they, they know you love them, but when, when they do something really stupid, and, and of course you correct them, but in the midst of that, they still experience your love that's when they know how much you love them. That's when they understand the depth of what you would do for them. And in the midst of our own failures, when we experience that and we say, man, I messed up. I just totally screwed this up. And yet God embraces me and pulls me up. That's a gift. That's grace. And so even in the midst of failure, we can embrace that and say, thank you. Third gift, growth. Jesus saves before he scolds, but then he does help us in the midst of it to grow. Because I want you to hear something today, okay? Failure is not, you know, failing at something is not the same thing as being a failure. And I don't mean to, you know, split hairs or parse nuances of words here, but I want you to hear that if you failed at something, that doesn't make you a failure as a person. And you need to understand that in the midst of, of failure, you are able then to grow. You're able then to, to grow and say, okay, well, there's something that doesn't work. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to do that one again, or at least not do it that way. I'm going to grow in the midst of this. Your identity is not based on what you did or didn't do. Your identity is based on what God says about you. There's a, um, there's a study done and, and, and this, this instructor, okay, he, he was teaching uh, some type of art class, a pottery class. And he divided his students into two groups. Uh, group A is what we would call the quanti quantity group. Okay, their, their grade was based on the quantity of pottery that they created. Okay, like, you know, 40 pounds of pottery equals an A. Doesn't matter how good it is, just 40 pounds of pottery equals an A. 30 pounds of pottery equals a B. 20, C, etc. Then the other group, group B, this was the group that they got to turn in one piece. And it was graded on the quality of that one piece. They had the entire semester to create one piece. So at the end of the semester, the fascinating part of this is almost all of the really, really high quality work was done by the group in the quantity grading scale because they were constantly creating new stuff. And they weren't afraid to create something, say, wow, this is crap, but I'm going to hand it in because it's all about weight, right? You know, I'm going to make big bowls because they, get, they weigh more. But the more they did it, the more they found how to do it better. 
And by the end, they were creating the best work. But this group that all they had to do was one, and they could spend the entire semester on one, they, they never really honed their gifts because they never had a chance to fail at it. You see, when we have the opportunities to fail, then we can understand that, wait, I'm going to learn from this. Rather than seeing this failure as, oh, I'm a failure now. See, I, I made one wrong pot. We can look at it and say, wait a minute. Okay, now I'm learning how not to do it. I'm learning what works and what doesn't work, and I can build on that. But when our idea of failure is, I failed, therefore I'm a failure, then we can't move on from it. We can't grow. And, and that's the cool thing about Peter, right? I mean, Peter failed his water walking exam. <laughs> he got about 50%, and then he started sinking. That's failure. And yet, that wasn't the end of Peter. Peter went on to fail greatly in a few other times too, right? I mean, the night that Jesus is about to be crucified, he, he denies he even knows him three times. You know, he tells him uh, a few chapters later in Matthew even, you know, Jesus says, hey, I've got to go to Jerusalem because I'm going to have to die. And Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, you can't let that happen. Jesus looks at, looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan? Okay, I mean, that's a failure on a huge scale. So Peter failed a ton, and yet, who was it in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus rose again, after Jesus ascended into heaven, and he said, I'm sending my spirit, and you are going to launch a movement where people for the rest of generations are going to hear about my grace, about how much I love them, and about how they can be reconnected to God. Who is it that stands up and preaches and 3,000 people? people become Christians that day. Peter, of all the disciples other than Judas, probably the biggest failure over and over and over. And yet, he's the one who stood up and proclaimed Christ and launched this thing that we're still doing 2,000 years later. It's about growth. Now, I might just be preaching to myself this week, <laughs> um, but maybe somebody in here also needs to hear this, but you are loved, and God is so proud of you. And even if you feel like you failed, you need to know that Jesus' hand is right there lifting you back up. You are not a failure. You may have failed at something. You may have failed at a lot of things. But you are not a failure. And his hand is lifting you up. The, the question is, are you willing to see that failing is not your identity? It's a tool and it's an opportunity to move forward. Because that's, that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. And I just want to encourage you today. I mean, nobody else in that boat experienced Jesus' hand holding them and carrying them to the boat. Because none of them got out and even attempted it. I think the most important part of this entire narrative because Jesus says, why did you doubt me? 
I think one of the most important aspects here is Jesus believed in Peter more than Peter believed in Jesus. Right? Jesus said, you, you didn't need to do anything. You just had to trust me. I had you. But you started doubting yourself. And this morning, you just need to hear whether your faith in Jesus is really strong or really weak right this minute, Jesus believes in you and he cares deeply about you. And he wants to lift you up and to walk with you even if it's in the middle of a storm. Failure is not the end. It's the beginning of Jesus shaping you into who he wants you to be so that you can be all that he has called you to be. Will you trust him with that? And have you ever placed your faith in him and said, Jesus, I do trust you? Because it's got to start there. And today you get to move forward knowing that the God of the universe loves you and is walking with you and believes in you, even if your faith isn't really strong yet. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do love us. You, you watch over us. And um, Lord, I, I don't know what you are, um, I don't know what you're doing today in the lives of the people who are within earshot. But God, I pray that you, you, would, you would take these words for the one who's struggling with feeling like a failure and you would just lift them up. Lord, I, I just pray that this morning you, you, would, you would reach out your hand and grab hold of that person who feels like they are sinking because I know that is not, that's not what you want for them. And you have not called them or sentenced them to be a failure, but to be your child. So God, I pray this morning that all of us would feel that hand pulling us up, strengthening us, challenging us where we need to be challenged so that we could grow. And we don't grow unless we try. And usually when we try, we have some failures, but God, use those to make us into who you want us to be. We love you. We wouldn't be here if we weren't trying to pursue a relationship with you. So I pray that today we would find new ground on that relationship that moves us even closer to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.